everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it is Brian M. Hauser and we are back for uh, episode 48 of Real Hawk Talk. Um, man, it has been a uh, surprising season. Uh, we've got a really, really fun show tonight, a uh, lot to talk about, and we've got a really big announcement uh, that we'll get to here in just a second. Before we do that, uh, I want to welcome uh, co-host Jeff Simmons to the show, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How you doing, fellow? Uh, how you doing, Brian? We're kicking it old school. Just me and you, like uh, the early days of the show. Yeah, I wonder how many folks that are watching actually remember when it was just you and I uh, starting this bad boy back. Yeah, then. it's been over a year. Uh, definitely gotten firier with Evan and more analytical <laughs> with Nathan. A lot more debate. Yeah, but- yeah. You and I are too. Like you're Canadian and I'm old, and we just kind of like go along with things, I guess. Actually, no one has ever said that I just go along with anything. But um, yeah, it doesn't seem like your style. <laughs> we uh, we we do have a little bit of a, a calmer, more mature dialogue uh, between mm-hmm. the two of us. So I always look forward to that. Um, but we do have a couple big announcements. Um, and uh, the first, um, obviously, we have to say congratulations to uh, Evan. Um, who is now a happily married man. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, I actually got the the honor of attending Evan and uh, Alex's wedding, Alexandra. Um, and uh, it was awesome. Um, good family and food and and it was I should mention that the food at Evan's um, wedding, there's a couple important points and uh, none of these are the big news, but these are these are newsworthy. Uh, so everyone, they went with barbecue, which was solid. Wow. It was That's solid. They had like pulled pork and uh, barbecue chicken and like baked beans and cornbread. It was like, it was really good. That's um, awesome for a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. It it was classic Evan style. He, in his vows, did end his vows with Go Hawks. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know how people feel about that, but, but uh, he went there. Um, and then Alex had an awesome moment where she uh, she had a surprise for Evan. Actually, I knew about this a while ago that she had a Pittsburgh Steelers garter. And so when Evan went to uh, get it, uh, <laughs> he was not so happy. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, I would have loved to see that. Oh, man. It was good. It was good. The love was there. I mean, 
um, they're really made for each other. They uh, they bicker like a, a, a uh, an old couple and uh, already, and they're really good friends. So it was That's just amazing. it was great to see. Evan also got a job down in Arizona, so he's moving in in July, January, I should say. And I feel like we gotta we gotta do something. I, I don't know if you're gonna be in town at all, but we we gotta do something to do a uh, real hawk talk going away. You know, maybe at a bar, or you know, maybe it should, really should be at um at Matador. Is really weird. Yeah, there. That's one reason I would fly out for. That would be cool, dude. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd come out for that. Um, and then the other uh, big announcement. This is not the big announcement, but another big announcement. Um, you notice that there's a conspicuous absence as well. Not just Evan, who's just taking a little mini honeymoon this week. Um, but Nathan Ernst is not here either. Uh, what's the deal with that, Jeff? Um, Nathan has a um, baby on the way. Ah, okay. I believe it's his third third kid. Yeah, I think that's right. That's that's why he had to miss last week, last minute. Um. So what's the deal? What is he? Is he gone for good? Is he coming back? He's taking a um a leave of absence for the remainder of the season. Ah, all it right. Just so happens once the Seahawks start to run the ball and passing efficiency numbers with Russell Wilson went way through the roof. Once they started passing less, Nathan's mysteriously had to take a leave of absence. Well, I think it's going to make for a much more comfortable conversation about what's really making a difference about the Seahawks this season. Um, I will not feel at all uncomfortable talking about the run game and poor Ben Baldwin. I'm sorry, dude. You're just going to have to hear me for a little while. One side of that debate. Um, it's going to be tough. Uh, but you said end uh, rest of the season. I believe it is for roughly saying four weeks. We'll see how that goes. So um, when the Seahawks make their long postseason run, which we'll talk about, uh, hopefully we'll get him back uh, in January. Um, but none of those. Those are all like worthy bits of news. But uh, I've been teasing the last day or so about big news. Um, you have any guesses about what the big news is, Jeff? Is it a Frank Clark extension? That would be big news. No, it is Are not. You breaking that right now? What's that? Are you breaking that story right now? No, I am not. I'm not. This is this is actually um, okay. If you could, if you knew, uh, like, you could wish for one thing. That let me ask you this way: What's one thing that's really stood out about this Seahawks season on Twitter that? really like every Seahawks fan that's on Twitter knows and loves and looks forward to and hopes that they get more of all the time. I'll give you a Brian Baldinger videos. That is a really good one. That is a really good one. And it's Those... true. He's had a lot of good stuff lately. Um, he is not joining the Hawk blogger team, but there is someone who does similar work, although a lot more fun who is any guesses. Uh, maybe, maybe you should just tell him. <laughs> so we're really excited to announce that um, those of you who know him on Twitter, uh, his handle keeps changing, but it is uh, at Cable Thanos, um, uh, known to us uh, as uh, as Josh. Uh, he, that's his real name. He's coming out today. 
is joining the Hawk Bloggers crew. So we are super, super excited to have uh, Josh aboard. If you have not seen his work online, it is, to me, it's, I think someone today just wrote about, I, th I think it was like Sam Hawk Badger, actually. He was like, we've got, you know, Danny Kelly writing amazing articles on Russell. We've got, you know, um, he listed all these things. And then he's like, and we've got Cable Thanos creating videos like real Rob Report that are like must see. It feels like 2012. Um, his videos are amazing. They're blowing up all over the place. Uh, you know, I don't know how he does it so quickly and like so well. He's funny. Uh, he makes funny. <laughs> I like the fact that he's sarcastic uh, and, and pokes fun at uh, the national folks that got it so wrong. Um, but I mean, it's great stuff. So all his work, Jeff, is going to start showing up on uh, the Hawk Blogger YouTube channel, on the Hawk Blogger blog. We're going to start collaborating about more stuff. Um, but really, really excited. If you are not already following Josh, um, it's at Cable, C-A-B-L-E, Thanos, T-H-A-N-O-S. Um, must follow amazing work. And uh, you'll be hearing a lot more about him uh, from us and going forward. So... Was that was that exciting? Was that what you were expecting? So, so today I I, I, I sent, sent a, a list, list of videos, videos and I sent a list of Seahawks content that everyone should be watching this week. There was a lot of good stuff, the Baldinger stuff. I listened to Mina Kimes podcast today, which was very Seahawks oriented. I listened to Danny Kelly article. I strategically did not mention Josh's videos, so I wanted to tee that up. And yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Deadspin picked it up this week. Deadspin picked up all those videos and they put them all in one article. And his stuff is just hilarious. Like I've been saying it even to people who aren't Seahawks fans and they think he's a little wacky and a little nuts, but I just can't get enough of the content. It's so funny. Yeah, I mean, you you did. It was really funny. You 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 wrote that tweet. Um, I said it was like earlier today. And you called out the Danny Kelly article. You called out the Mina Kimes article, uh, podcast. You talked about the Baldy things. Bobby Wagner mic'd up. You talked about the podcast tonight. All these things are great content. And immediately someone responds with, and don't forget Cable Thanos' weekly game. I, I saw that and I said, <laughs> shit, they know. <laughs> so um, we, won't, uh, we won't take uh, too much more time on it. But yeah, honestly, Josh, don't take offense to that. That was all strategic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, it's great. We got we got a really good crew on this uh, on this uh, team, and everyone's good people and cares passionately about the Seahawks and doesn't take themselves too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously, folks. Um, mm -hmm. We're just guys. Um, so, all right, what are we going to talk about tonight, Jeff? There's like we got a blowout against the 49ers. We have a big game against the Vikings. Um, wrote an article that I'd love to share a little bit and talk a little bit about, about Russell Wilson and, you know, volume passing and what we think about that. Where, where should we get started? Okay. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, stuff just keeps falling in the Seahawks favor. The Panthers lost again. The Packers fired their coach. They lost again to Arizona at home. Um, who else? the bears lost pretty much the wildcard competition just keeps falling in the Seahawks favor, which what, which was a game that like, I think, what are they? 90% playoffs now. 
The Seahawks are about 86, 87, 80, I think something like and that. And even if even if they lose this Vikings game and just take care of business against San Fran, Arizona, I think it's over 90% on the New York Times calculator. Oh, yeah. It's close to like – I want to say it's close to like high 90s. So just for a team, I, I just remember just starting off the year, one of the things we always talked about was like who cares about what their record is. We just want to see them have a group of guys that they can move forward with, kind of turn the corner. They've kind of transitioned into this that team that we were just going to analyze. They've largely surpassed that expectation. Now they're a team that maybe for the first time in the Carroll era just beats the crap out of inferior competition. It's true. If you even go back to the the glory days, you know, the their peak years, Seahawks didn't tend to blow out a lot of teams. I mean, they, they definitely had them, no doubt about it. There was games mm. where they destroyed Jacksonville or something like that, but you know, comes to mind for me like the games against the the Rams that were always close, even when the Rams yeah. were really not good, and and the games against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they'd go ahead twenty one nothing before the Seahawks would come back and find a way to win. Like I, this team this year, if you look at it, like I don't know if you remember, we talked after the Dallas game week three, right? And one of the comments we all had, I think Nathan was the first one to say it, which says a lot, was that felt like one of the most, like, dominant games for the Seahawks in a long time, even though the score wasn't that big of a difference. Mm -hmm. Seahawks just felt like they had that game the whole time. And if you look at their games against who were really contenders for the wild card spots, you got uh, Dallas, you got at Detroit, who was definitely contending and coming on strong at the time they played him. You've got um, Green Bay, and you got the Panthers. They won all four of those, and two of them they won really comfortably. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a little bit of a different feel with this team than it's, it's been in the past. Yeah, just so I guess we'll start with the San Francisco game. Um, we usually go into pretty deep dive into – Pretty much every game, but this this one's a little different. San Francisco is just a bad team. There's a lot of Richard Sherman talk, but he barely even impacted the game. That's not a knock on him. It's more of a situation of how bad and injured that roster is. And Seattle just, just manhandled them. And I guess what – did anything stand out? A couple of things stood out to me, but what jumped out of your eye? Um. Well, one – um. Uh, I'll give you a double what I got wrong this week. Cause I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, larger. Sure. I did not expect a blowout in this game. Um, mm -hmm. I thought the 49ers run game matched up well with the Seahawks terrible run defense. I thought that would keep them in the game. I thought that, um, the 49ers defense is actually underrated and would, would stand up a little bit and, and make, make it tough on the Seahawks. So, the fact that they were able to run pretty effectively, I mean, they had over 160 yards rushing again. And, I mean, that Russell Wilson, I mean, I don't think it's possible for him to get more efficient than he is right now. Four touchdowns and 17 pass attempts? Like, that's insane. Um, so, I mean, Tyler Lockett, I could keep going, but I'm going to leave some stuff for you. There's definitely stuff that was uh, – it, it it was a surprising game from from my perspective. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, for me, what stood out and it really stood out as I've kind of dug back into the game, 
if you've seen any of the we mentioned brian baldinger i his videos this week were awesome he did a lot of seahawks stuff the one thing that kept recurring in that video is how good the seahawks offensive line played and i was one of the people who was cautiously optimistic going into the year i was hoping they'd be an, an average group right I remember when Ben Albright put out that tweet that they'd be last in the league. I kind of got into it with them, saying that people shouldn't worry so much about the O-line. But when I rewatched the game and rewatched those videos, the O-line did such a good job in this game, and they've really, really become a good unit, even though Russell took a couple sacks. Some of the runs, like some of the penny runs, are just perfectly blocked. And on the locket touchdown, he focuses in, Baldinger focuses in on the pass protection. Seattle beats up every single man on that offensive line and getting a Fetty's technique and the way J.R. Sweezy's playing and Dwayne Brown has had two phenomenal games in a row. And just watching the whole offensive line, whether it's been pass pro, whether it's been the run blocking, that looked like a top five offensive line. And the fact that they've made this one-year turnaround says so much about Mike Solari. And it's incredible that they've done this because they were so bad. Well, this is also a comfortable place for us to talk about that because I don't have to worry about uh, cable and uh, cable hate from. Um, we'll we'll save that tonight. And Nathan, look, you know, we won't retread that whole thing because I know people are tired of that conversation. But when I was doing the article on Russell this weekend, and I went, I knew the first thing people would say when I compared some of his improvement from last year this year is, oh, well, now he's got an offensive line coach and he's got a good offensive line. Well. If you look at the – here's two stats. Um, sack rate, which is sacks per drop back. Mm -hmm. um, the Seahawks ranked 20th last year. They ranked like 31st or 32nd this year. I mean, I think it might have gone to 29th. But they've actually gone backwards in sack rate. Wow. When you look at ESPN's pass block win rate um, stat, which is new this year from Brian Burke, and that basically really isolates the offensive lineman's role to play in pass blocking as opposed to the running backs and the on the quarterback. And it's basically seeing how well the offensive line blocks for at least two and a half seconds, which is a reasonable amount. I mean, that's like the max amount you should really be expecting. And the Seahawks last year, they ranked uh, 11th offensive line-wise there. This year, they ranked ninth. So they've improved, but it's not night and day. And mm -hmm. so I think that while everyone wants to point at other things, and especially a certain segment of Seahawks Twitter wants to point at everything but this thing, how can you not give some credit to Brian Schottenheimer and give some credit to the fact that they are running the ball more often and putting Russell in situations that he just freaking excels in? Like, I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that that is not playing some role in the change this year. It, it has to be. And I keep seeing that. I know Ben brings this up a lot. It's that their first two games were against the top two DVOA defenses. So that's why the numbers shifted so much. I think that's a complete coincidence. I really do. Their game plan has radically changed and Russell's play has radically changed. I don't think that has to do with the quality fully to do with the quality of the defenses. I think they're putting Russell in a unique situation that he can excel at. And, when I mentioned the offensive line, if you look at Rashad Penny's touchdown, look at the blocking on that play. The Seahawks haven't blocked like that maybe since Marshawn Lynch's run in Detroit in 2012 where he ran a straight line for 80 yards. But 
watching J.R. Sweezy just throw around Solomon Thomas in those videos, who was a number three overall pick, a really projected beast out of Stanford. It's it's just such a difference in terms of just the group as as a whole. Maybe the, the statistics don't show it, but yeah, I'm with you. I think just to say it's because of Dwayne Brown versus well, yeah, their left tackle was really bad. There's so much more to the picture. That's way too oversimplifying it. And you just can't if it's just they, they don't want to admit they're wrong. I love Ben, but he never admits he's wrong. <laughs> I did see him admit he was wrong about Tyler Lockett. I think he said that Tyler Lockett hates math, but he did admit that he took the L. I'm pretty sure I saw that. Yeah, too. me and him got into it in the summer, so I'm. I, it's one of the things I beat him on. Very yeah. rare. He, he's. He, he's. I don't rarely beat him. I'll admit that. Yeah. Well, to, I mean, to be really clear on the the cable and Solari thing, I'm not saying that Solari is not much different. What I'm saying is everyone assumes it's difference in the pass blocking, and the numbers don't necessarily bear that out. But the run blocking, completely different. There's either multiple styles of run blocking that they're playing now. The run game is different. Solari is 100% a big part of that. We, I remember being incredibly jealous of the 49ers run game and how varied and different it was back in the Harbaugh days. And the Seahawks now have that guy, um, you know, assembling this line. So I think that's been a huge difference. And Solari definitely gets credit there. So, um, yeah, interesting. It, it, it was uh, when you look at Tyler Lockett and, and what he's done this year. Um, I, like I, I, I can't say I'm surprised because um, I really believe I've I've really believed in him as a talent um, this whole time. But what he did in this last game on that touchdown where he slowed down and let the linebacker run into him and then was able to, you know, get some separation at the end, that was that was uh, incredibly savvy. That was a vet move. And people forget about the pass interference he drew. Like, I was at yeah. the game, and I was there with my son. I was like, as soon as that play – snapped you could see lock i mean lockett has guys dead to rights within three steps and you see the space he's running to and it's like russ sees it and right now they're a really really tough duo to stop yeah i, I was a i was a locket guy but i didn't see this kind of production coming and i i think i think i read today that russ lockett and russell have a perfect passer rating or when they're connecting on I can't remember the stat was, but it was something they have a perfect passer rating, which is one of the best statistical seasons from an efficiency standpoint ever for a receiver. Or maybe just compared to the best guys in the league. I can't remember the stat, but I want to look that up later. But yeah, Lockett, Lockett's been unbelievable. His ability to just... I remember Shield Kapadia used to always go crazy about how open Lockett was down the field prior to that injury. He used to always talk about that. It was in all his tweets and articles. And the problem was always pass protection. They didn't have the time to see him down the field or they didn't have time to look downfield. So just the abilities of able to get that speed back from that injury and his separation downfield is just something that he was always so good at that rookie season. And to see it come back and his game round out a little more, it's been so important because Doug Baldwin just isn't the same guy health-wise right now. And it's not a knock on him. It's incredible he's been able to play all season. But having Lockett just break out like that it has to be one of John Schneider's best moves probably since the Super Bowl years. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice, and it's, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So, yeah, yeah um, I mean, I think there wasn't for me there wasn't a much more on the 49ers game like that. No, I'd say I'd say the one takeaway it's not. I still think Bobby Wagner is underappreciated nationally, and maybe even in the Seahawks fan base. I don't think he gets enough attention. He is he is not only one of the best linebackers, I think he's one of the best players in all of football. And what he did in that game was ridiculous. And on a defense that really isn't that good, it's really not, especially with KJ out and their secondary and their lack of pass rush right now outside of one or two guys. Like Peter King did his article this week and mentioned his defensive players of the week, and he had three guys over Wagner. He later apologized for it. Like, how does someone have a game like that and not get, like, crazy attention? That was one of the best single games I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it definitely was. Um, Bobby's great, and uh, that touchdown, that, that, that pick six was uh, amazing. Um, just a total vet move and athletic as well. You know, as far as other guys that have done what he's done, and pretty rare. You know, you've got um, Khalil Max managed to actually do it twice, which is uh, a sack, a inter uh, interception return for a touchdown, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery all in one game. It's only been done a handful of times, and um, Khalil Max done it twice, including once this year. And then I think the other guys were Charles Woodson and Tony Brackens um, back in wow. like. 93 or something like that so it's been a long time yeah all right so that's pretty much it for the niners game they're a bad football team depleted they seem like they're not trying that hard anymore i feel bad for i almost feel bad for richard sherman that's a it's gonna be a tough team to play well but. that actually is a good point we didn't talk about which is something they they're really a bad team yeah what did they manage to do in the passing game yeah they were able to like most teams find a lot of room in the passing game. The Seahawks tackled very poorly. They missed a lot of tackles that led to big plays that Dante Pettis touchdown was a big coverage bust. There's a lot of alarming signs coming from this defense. We just raved about Wagner and he's great. Frank Clark's been great, but Nick Mullins passed for 400 yards. And a lot of it came once the game was out of hand, but man, that's, that's not good. That's an alarming sign. The Seahawks, were picked apart by a lot. You saw what Cam Newton did against Tampa Bay last week after he just like ripped apart Seattle. This this defense isn't good. They they have talent issues across the board. They don't have a playmaker in the back end really. Since Earl Thomas has gone out, their takeaway numbers are like significantly down. I don't even think they have more than five picks since since that point. Nick Mullins threw for four hundred yards. Yeah, that don't say that again, dude. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Again, again, we've been too positive. We gotta be. We gotta be. We gotta be fair. What? What? So I need your point of view on Trey Flowers because I, I know my mind's different than most people's, but I'd like to know like where are you right now? Like, how would you describe Trey Flowers? Trey Flowers is a work in progress with some significant upside, but he's not. Seahawks fans get excited about young players, but when you're looking at it objectively. He's probably below average corner in terms of coverage. And he's his tackling has huge potential, but he whiffed pretty bad in some open space. And he's got a long way to go on crossing routes, and he's still a work in progress. 
Yeah, I I just see I see an okay player. Um, but if people kind of look at it as all right, they've got their two young corners and they've got a young safety um, in Tedrick, they're they're all building for the future. I, I'm not assuming any one of those positions is locked. I mean, Shaquille Griffin is the closest to it that I'd feel that way, and that's simply because I believe in what he did last year and his raw athletic ability. I think that I can believe that he will continue to, you know, will find a way to turn it around. But would you qu- qualify any of those three players as difference makers, as game changers? No, absolutely not. Um, Shaq is a work. Shaq's even Pete was a little. I don't know if you heard Pete's press conference today. He wasn't as positive as he usually was. Someone asked him about Griffin's progress, and he was kind of harsh about he's got a long way to go. And he didn't say he took a step back, like we've said more clearly, but he kind of was a little reserved in his assessment. And He's not a difference maker. He's a sound player with a lot of, in terms of playmaking, he's got a long way to go in terms of turning his head around. Flowers has big upside as a tackler. He's got the size component, but in terms of his coverage and his technique, he's still got a way to go. And Tedrick Thompson, I don't see anything. I, I Well, here's the thing that people, I don't think are realizing about Tedrick. Um, his effect on the run defense has been horrible. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of these plays that are breakouts that we just got used to like people be upset because they'd see a running back come through the line and get 10, 15 yards, but that's all they'd get. Cause Earl Thomas was there to plug the gap. He was always there coming downhill and he was the last line of defense. And people talk about his closing speed in the past game, but a lot of what he did was close down, you know, explosive running plays. And Tedrick Thompson is not fast enough. He's not a good enough tackler. And a lot of those plays are just going longer than they would have before. So, you know, I'm definitely, I think safety is one of the top priorities for this team in the off season. Absolutely. I want them to go back to the well in the draft, maybe a couple of times, because it's not like Bradley McDougal's good forever. Um, By the time, you know, they kind of grow up, they might need new young safeties. And, you know, there's a comment here in the chat from uh, DMCYT um, saying about Trey Flowers that he's a converted safety, wasn't supposed to start this year. He's a project, his first year starter. I totally get that. Like, mm-hmm. I think Trey Flowers has exceeded my expectations. I didn't think that the Seahawks could actually manage to keep him in a game. After the first week against the Broncos, I expected them to go on the waiver wire and pick up a veteran and put him back on the bench the same way they did with Shaquem Griffin who showed he was not ready for the NFL in the first game. Um, They stuck with Flowers, and it has not been a disaster. But I would really not say he's been good. I would say he's been below average and shown some promise. But, yeah, I I don't know why why there's a lot of folks that feel like he's, he's like – now a new set part of their their, mm-hmm. their foundation. Yeah, there's you, you you hit on a lot of good points there, and I think there's two ways you have to think. It's one thing we're not knocking Trey Flowers. He's a fifth round converted safety, as you said. He probably they had a ton of guys they had ahead of him. They probably planned to play. He kind of fell into the starting role, and we're not knocking him. He's still a, could be a huge part of the future, but 
you have to be there's one level of being excited as a fan and that's what a lot of people who listen to our show are but when you're actually objective and comparing them to starting cornerbacks on some of the other contenders you got to be realistic about where he ranks it doesn't mean he won't rank there one day it's just compared to some of the guys say maybe on some of the better defenses the bears or the chargers or whatnot flowers won't even sniff the starting lineup and that's just the objective truth and really a lot of guys on the seahawks wouldn't if one of the things that i like to look at is the bears they're, they're probably the best defense in the nfl right now they're closer to what seattle was a couple of years ago with all the blue chip players they have they have khalil mack they have hicks they got eddie jackson how many seahawks right now on defense would start for the bears or play a meaningful role there's wagner there's probably frank clark and jaron <laughs> reed that's it so that's eight guys on seattle who would be backup level players and that's not a knock in like the talent acquisition it just means the seahawks aren't working with what they worked in the super bowl years and historically that's not a knock on pete's scheme needing pro bowl players i see i've seen that out there that's a ridiculous take every great defense in the nfl historically has blue chip talent and starting level talent throughout you can't run any defensive scheme look at the bears for example Big Fangio's been their coordinator the last three years. When they didn't have great players, they weren't good. Now they have all great players. They're the best defense in the NFL. It's very simple. The Seahawks, to get back to that level, it's not a knock on Pete. It doesn't mean Pete's not a mastermind. They need to get better talent. And I think it's obvious watching them every week. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about um... – uh, you want to talk about the Vikings game? You want to talk about let's, let's talk about the Vikings game. Okay. Yeah, we'll start with that. We're talking about the defense, and I'm starting to think about Trey Flowers and Tedrick Thompson and Shaquille Griffin against Adam Thielen and against Stefan Diggs and even Kyle Rudolph. Um, like that doesn't feel like a, a good matchup for the Seahawks. It's it's not. It's not. The Seahawks have not fared well against great passing attacks this year. You've seen what the Rams have like moved the ball at will. You saw what what the Panthers did to get their guys in space pretty much all game. The Seahawks made no dent on them. And they threw four interceptions this week in Tampa Bay, who's not a good defense by any measure. Um, the Chargers were moving the ball at will for at least a half. They figured it out in the second half. So the Vikings really do have an edge in that department, and the Seahawks just don't have enough playmakers or they don't run enough creative scheme. If you watch the New England tape or the New England game, they really ran creative schemes to kind of try to slow down Thielen, and that's just not how Pete and Ken Norton operate. They run they run their defense, player or not, and unless they can get that big pass rush, Minnesota has a huge advantage in this game in that just in that department. Well, you know, the other part of this is um, uh, the, the trigger man, Kirk Cousins. And I'm mm -hmm. actually looking, because my instinct is that he has had a pretty good career against the Seahawks. I'm looking right now. Um, hold on. Uh, where would it be? Oh, pass rating. All right. Um yeah, not amazing. 97. 
97.2 pass rate against the Seahawks, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That doesn't seem right. He only played three games against the Seahawks. Yeah, that's probably about right. Huh. Or two games. He says he only played two games. Anyway. Well, yeah, I, that annoying one last year. I, I feel like he – yeah, I feel like he's had some big games against us and thrown the ball deep. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they – I mean, they have to feel good about their matchups on the outside. I think they feel like they can win that matchup every single snap. But one of the, the real – curious parts of this game is that Mike Zimmer is he's on the warpath for the last few weeks he has been complaining that they're not running the ball enough and John DiFilippo Evan who everybody seemed to want to hire for the Seahawks offensive coordinator is basically refusing to run the ball more and has the eighth ranked passing passing offense from an efficiency standpoint and like the 32nd ranked offense from a, a run offense from an efficiency standpoint. So he's like basically saying, I'm not going to run the ball. Zimmer wants him to run it more. And Zimmer came out in the press this week and said, I'm going to get more involved in the offense and I'm going to leave some of the play calls on defense to the other guys. So I have a feeling we're in for a little bit of a different Vikings this week. Um, What's your take on, on one, do you want the Vikings to run the ball more? And knowing that the Seahawks run defense is no great shakes either. You know, what, 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 what do you think about that? Yeah, so that's an interesting scenario. Zimmer is what a lot of people want Pete Carroll to be in the sense that he is totally hands-off on offense. He gives the total keys to the offensive coordinator. Last year it was Shermer. This year, it's Steve Filippo, and the offense has changed dramatically. The big thing why their numbers have been swayed in one way is Steve Filippo is kind of the new school forward thinker, passing heavy. Their offensive line, in terms of run, run blocking, is really, really bad. It looks a lot like the Seahawks offensive lines the last couple of years. They've had some personnel issues. Their center's been out most of the year. It looks it would be a very familiar group to the, in terms for Seahawks fans, just knowing how hard it is to run a normal offense when you can't consistently block either a pass block or a run block. But the passing has worked out this year. But Zimmer's an old school guy. He's a defensive coach. He came from the Bill Parcells school. He wants that physical running attack, and they might not have the personnel to run it. And it's put a lot of pressure on a lot of Vikings fans have turned on Kirk Cousins and have turned on D Filippo who hasn't found a rhythm with a guy like Dalvin Cook, who's Dalvin Cook showed some huge flashes last week in that Patriots game. He really kept them in the game early and they went away from him. He had like four carries in the second half. And that really drew Zimmer's ire and drew a lot of Vikings fans. They, they were calling, they wanted Pat Shermer back. I saw this weekend. I've watched a lot of the Vikings this year because I, I am a one, a Dalvin Cook fantasy owner and two, one of my good friends who I watch football with is a Vikings fan. He kind of reminds me of Nathan and just in terms of how they view football. And he has not been impressed with Filippo this year. He does not see, he thinks he's like a media creation. And maybe Frank Reich was the, the, the guy behind that Eagles team that Doug Peterson struggled on his own too. So in terms of your original question, so I kind of got away from them. Um, I would like to see them run the ball a little more because their offensive line isn't great and they're not great at run blocking, but Dalvin cook is very explosive. However, the offensive line gives the Seahawks their one chance in this 
well, their best chance on defense. This is the kind of game where you saw earlier in the year where Frank Clark and Jaron Reed can totally take over the game. They have holes all over their offensive line. New England, who's a very limited pass rush team like Seattle, they destroyed that offensive line last week. They might have a similar defense in terms of lack of pure pass rush talent. And that's where you can maybe counteract those offensive matchups on the outside. Yeah. I, one of the surprises when I was doing tail of the tape today um, uh, for the blog was uh, I love using Warren Sharp's site. Uh, we should get Warren back on the show here. Soon. Yeah, we really should. But um, so Sharp football stats, if people haven't done looked at it before. And one of the things he has is um, – uh, trending performance, and you can look at the offense trending performance. Um, and he has four four areas he, he tracks. Um, and you can compare their season performance with their most recent, you know, period of time. And so, if you look at their last three weeks, compare that to the rest of the season, um, their passing success rate um, hasn't changed. It's it was eighth all year. It's eight over the past three weeks. <laughs> their rushing success rate. Hasn't changed. It was 32nd all year, dead last. It's been 32nd over the past three weeks. So it's surprised me because Dalvin Cook has seems like he's he's popped a little bit recently, especially in the Patriots game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do explosive rushing and explosive passing. And what's interesting here, like you think about, you talked about DiFilippo and you talked about what he's done with the offense. You talk about Adam Thielen and you talk about Stefan Diggs. I picture explosive plays for the season. The Vikings offense is 29th in the NFL in explosive passes. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's shocking. They're 27th in the past three weeks for explosive rushes. They're 29th in the NFL for the season. They're 30th in the last three weeks. So, uh, you know, mixed in there is a game against the Bears where I think they had 22 yards rushing or something crazy like that. But uh, there's something to the fact that I think, I mean, you can't argue with the fact that DeFilippo has got his, the passing offense, you know, eighth in the NFL in terms of success rate. Um, but, and, you know, sixth in pass yards, I think is where they're at. But uh, it's it's been a struggling offense, and I think they've got a lot of talent. I think that you're right that the if I look at that entire team, defensive line, linebackers, corners, safeties, uh, running backs, quarterback, receivers, tight end, the only group that I would say is clearly a bottom five, bottom ten unit is that offensive line, mm-hmm. and that is that unit's 27th in the NFL in um, pass block efficiency from Pro Football Focus. I think it's. 28th in the NFL for pass block win rate from ESPN. So this is a really, really bad. They're bad on the tackles. They're bad at the guards and they're bad at center. Like they're just bad. It's not like usually you have like some, a pro bowler somewhere. They don't have that. So coming into Seattle on a Monday night um, in a game that matters to both teams, this Seahawks defensive line, they've got to eat. We got to see Frank Clark, you know, make some problems. And if he doesn't, Jaron Reed's got to cause some problems. And if he doesn't, uh, Jacob Martin or Deion Jordan, like there's got to be hell to pay for having a bad offensive line in Seattle. If the Seahawks want any chance, I think to really have a a good shot in this game. And I think, I think that's exactly why they can't, 
they're having not those explosive plays down the field. And we saw it firsthand for years. When you have an offensive line that poor, you have to throw out a 30-year playbook. And the Vikings, as you said, coming into the year top to bottom, I thought this was the second-best roster in the NFL. I would have had the Rams number one. They're 6-5-1 and one with a losing record on the road. And I think that comes down to an ability to run. Their offense is so imbalanced, similar to what maybe Russell Wilson's the offense looked like last year in Seattle, where maybe not as much individual freak plays, but you don't have basically a third of your playbook because you can't sustain blocking and you can't you can't run block at all. And you got guys Dalvin Cook was injured most of the year, and you had Latavius Murray running a couple yards of carry. It's just that's one area because talent wise, Minnesota top to bottom is really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about the, the explosive passing challenges that the Vikings are facing, it starts to make some sense, right? Um, if you can't run the ball and so you're not keeping the, the defense off balance at all in terms of, you know, is the defensive line having to make any decisions or are they just coming after the pass all the time? If they can't run and the, the, basically they're not going to respect they're not going to respect the run. So you're not going to have many loaded boxes. People are going to be dropping more into the secondary and forcing the, the Vikings to pass over it. And in addition to that, there's going to be pass pressure because this team is one of the worst teams in the league in terms of stopping the pass rush. So all that, we've seen that script. We saw it last year. Um, and when you have that script, it is hard to pass the ball more than a few yards down the field with any frequency or any success. So that might be playing a factor for, for Filippo as he's trying to, to fashion what he can out of a, a pretty flawed uh, offensive line. Yeah. And that's why a team that talented, and we saw it last year, why Seattle was probably nine and seven last year. Why a team this talented is hanging on for their lives in a wildcard race. That's completely falling apart around them. So, I mean, that makes me feel a little bit better, Jeff. <laughs> well, it does. But, but I mean, those receivers time. really like give me concerns. I don't have confidence in our secondary to slow down those receivers. No. So, well, there's two areas that are issue. The, the secondary is a huge problem. And from a pass rush perspective, outside of Clark and Reed, Seattle is just very underwhelming as a group. They don't have that number two pass rusher. So if Minnesota can kind of just hang on a little bit, then they can take their shots, and there's going to be lots of opportunities. We said it before. San Francisco had a ton of big plays, and that team is terrible. And now you're playing against – they're missing Garcon. They were missing Goodwin. They had their way with the Seahawks in the second half of the game. Dante Pettis destroyed them. And if the pass rush doesn't take over, man, Adam Thielen's been torching everyone. So there's a lot of opportunities. And Stefan Diggs is one of the best route runners. Came in the league, same year as Lockett. Diggs are a really good route runner, probably maybe the best in the league. I love watching him play receiver. I don't like watching him against us, but he is he's a surgeon out there mm-hmm. with how he, he runs his routes. So whoever's lining up against Trey Flowers, that's a tough matchup because those are technicians. They're, they're really good, sound, technical receivers. And, and Dalvin Cook, he's an explosive player. You saw what he did last week. He was starting to round into form. He looked good a couple weeks back, and – the Seahawks have had trouble against the A running backs. McCaffrey killed them. Melvin Gordon killed them. Todd Gurley's had his way with them. So if that pass rushing group, which has been mostly underwhelming because they just don't have the horses there, 
And that's obviously something we got to see them boost in the offseason. But Frank Clark doesn't have one of those games. It could get ugly. Yeah, well, let's talk about two guys that we have not talked about yet on the Seahawks that could help on defense. Um, Puna Ford. Yeah. Was, I think, second second rated defender from Pro Football Focus for the Seahawks, one of the top rated defensive linemen in the NFL last week against 49ers. Had a great game. Great game. And um, Michael Kendricks. So the Seahawks, thank God, uh, finally have another legitimate starting caliber linebacker. Um, Set aside, you know, any moral or social issues you have just from a football standpoint. He is, he's like an seven and a half out of 10 for me as a linebacker when the Seahawks have been playing with like fives, um, you know, most of this, this season, if not lower. Five seems very high. <laughs> like Austin Calitro just had his probably best game of the year and you shout did. out to him. He was really sound in this game, but when Mingo snaps were way down, I think he had like 22 snaps and he's kind of been exposed as the season's gone. He's made some freaky athletic plays, but in terms of like tackling in space and coverage and zone and, the Rams have just picked on him. Um, that's that's a really low end group compared to usually you're going with Wright and KJ Wright has been like a nine, eight, nine level player. And Kendricks was so good in that Bears game, coming off like no training. And it was really good in that Dallas game we mentioned. And he was a starter on a Super Bowl team. And having him versus Austin Calitro and Mingo, who's more of an edge guy, that's a huge jump. Because they need—they haven't had KJ Wright all year. He was supposed to be one of the key factors for them. They've missed him so much in terms of run defense, in terms of just playing in your gaps and the kind of busts they've had all year. And I'm excited to have Kendricks back. He was so much fun when he was playing around. Yeah, and they haven't had him since week four, I believe. So that's kind of where their defensive numbers really took a tanking. That and Earl Thomas going out and. Yeah, Ford's a good call-out, too. We probably should have mentioned him in the takeaway section for the Niners game. He looked like a major step up from Shamar Stefan, who I have kind of don't really see. He's kind of like the Tedrick Thompson to me. I don't really see anything from him. He's in that Allen Branch, uh, Tony McDaniel role. But the run defense has been terrible. So he's not a pass rusher. I'd much rather play the younger guy who's getting pressures and getting run stops and Puna will make a difference. I hope that they don't return back to Shamar because I, I like what I saw from Puna and Naz is starting to come on a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing. And and uh, so so Stefan sat last week. That gave Jones, uh, Nazir Jones and Puna Ford a chance to, to play together for really mm-hmm. the first time. Jones had a great week against the Panthers. I don't know if he had you know any real meaningful impact plays against the 49ers, but... I told you, I expect the 49ers to run the ball pretty well against the Seahawks. They didn't. And is it possible that Jones and Ford had a lot to do with that? Yeah, I think it is possible. And has Stefan done stuff that has earned him the right to come back no matter what? No. He uh, is I, I don't see what he does. He's a, I mean, he's just a run. He's a three-technique run stuff around base downs that they rotate in. I don't think he's – they might – I mean, he's supposed to be really strong and all that kind of stuff, but – I don't think he's offers much more than that. I mean, Tony McDaniel was supposed to be that, but he's six, seven batted down passes and had some pass pressure mm-hmm. as well that he added to it. 
Um, plus, he was a badass. Yeah, he was. And uh, he was kind of fun to have around. But I don't want to – I want to come back to Kendricks for a second. Like, I don't know if people realize. I mean, he was a – Bobby Wagner's four four six forty um coming out of college. And that's an insanely fast linebacker for his size, 250. Um, and that's what the Seahawks wanted. They wanted speed. Kendricks was four four seven. So – Kendricks and, and Wagner are two of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you put both of them on the field at the same time, it does make a difference. I mean, it, it's it's not the same as having Earl Thomas running sideline to sideline and what he can do, but having two linebackers that can cover that much ground and can – both of them are good blitzers, both of them are good tacklers, both of them are good in coverage. Um, yeah, I think that – I'm going to say something that's going to be very unpopular. I think he could be better than KJ Wright in this defense from a, you know, um, physical talent perspective. Wow. From a, you know, knowing where to be and in sync communication with Bobby, there's no way. So, like, it'll probably, I don't think it'll necessarily be that he'll play to KJ Wright's impact, but I think from a potential, like physical potential, talent potential, he is more physically gifted than KJ Wright. I don't think there's really any question about that. Yeah, and speed and running and hitting is such a point of emphasis for MP, and you really haven't seen that kind of other than Calitro played pretty well this week. He flashed a couple times, but that's just been absent from that position all year long. It's not Mingo style. Mingo's more of an athletic guy that makes some freaky plays setting edges. But yeah, that's a that's a good call out because they haven't had that speed all year from that other position. And now you got two sideline to sideline players and there's people that thought they were going to draft Kendricks over Wagner in the first place, and now they got them lining up side by side. That could be a huge boost for this team down the stretch, and if they end up, say, playing the Rams again, that's when Kendricks went out in the first place before that Rams game. That changes a lot because that speed makes a big difference. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so I think that that can help on defense, you know, having Kendricks back. I think Puna Ford, you know, is a guy that should be able to cause that offensive line a lot of problems. Everybody should. Um, so that, I mean, I think that's, there's one place the Seahawks really have to win. It's, it's that the defense has to, to cause problems for that offense so that Kirk Cousins is not having a lot of comfort just t- tossing the ball aside. Cannot allow the Vikings to get their run game going. That's, that would be a, a challenge. So, I mean, I think the game's going to be won or lost when the Vikings have the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, if we flip around to the other side, Jeff, and we look at the Seahawks' offense against the Vikings' defense, look, that defensive line for the Vikings, Daniel, Daniel Hunter, you know, monster. Uh, Linval Joseph, monster. Sheldon Richardson, Tom Johnson, who we're paying to play against us. Um, Everson Griffin. Like, there is a lot of talent on that defensive line. Um, you go to the linebackers. You've got Anthony Barr. You've got Eric Kendricks. Um, uh, you go to the cornerbacks. You've got Xavier Rose and Trey Waynes. You go to the safeties. There's a new guy on this team that I don't know many people know, Anthony Harris at safety. He's one of the best safeties in football right now. Like, his, he's allowed a passer rating you want to guess what he's allowed for a passer rating, dude? It's it's obscene. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. It's single digits. Really? 
I was going to say 40, somewhere in the 40s. But. No, I mean, he's he's allowed a 9.4 passer rating this season. Jeez. I mean, it's insane. He's got an elite rating uh, over pro football focus. So this is a stacked defense. They are they are number one in the NFL in, against third downs. They're number two in the NFL in red zone defense. They're number five in yards per rush against. They're number five in sack rate. Like, they're kind of good about everything. Um, I, I think that you know this is a this is a tough matchup. Um, where do you where do you start the attack for for the Seahawks if if you're in charge? Oh, I think you want to be. This is where you need to be a balanced offense, and I do think where a lot of people want to go pass heavy. This is where you see the advantage of the Seahawks approach this year, and not in the sense that you're trying to keep the offense off the field. In the sense that you're trying to neutralize the pass rushers because, as you said, the pass rushers are scary. And I think Daniel Hunter, from like a pass rush productivity standpoint, is the number one edge rusher in the NFL. Sean Richardson showed a lot in flashes this year. He's been better in Minnesota. He's been a better fit in that defense now that he knows the 4-3 and understands his role. And I think you're going to need to see the run game not as a way to open up deep passes and play action, just as a way to neutralize that edge rush. Because if you do become a one-dimensional team, and you saw it with Detroit a couple weeks ago where they had nothing going in the run game, they stopped even trying to run. I think Minnesota had 10 sacks or something, and that's a pretty good O-line in Detroit. And they just absolutely went off on them. And New England kind of – the way New England attacked them last year was more with an old-school – what New England used to do in like the early Brady years, not the downfield newer Brady stuff or the what they do with Seattle getting guys in space. They really both their touchdowns were on fullback runs. They they were able to run the ball a little to Sony Michelle and they were able to hit on like some mid range plays to Josh Gordon and they weren't able to throw the ball down the field because they didn't want to test the pass rush too much. So I think the run game and Maybe Doug Baldwin in this game becomes a big deal because I don't know if you're going to get the time to maybe hit those deep balls to lock it and use play action as effectively. And because they got four or five edge rushers and the speed of linebacker, that it's going to be a real test for the O line. So I think the run game is a big factor in this game because that is one way to slow down a great pass rush. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, other news that kind of came out today that could be meaningful. Um, both Trey Waynes and Eric Kendricks did not practice today for the oh, Vikings. Wow. Um, it looks like, uh, I mean, Kendricks, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily, we don't know much about his injury. It could just be a, a day off. But Waynes had, he left the Patriots game with a concussion the first quarter, did not play. He was out today, it's Thursday. Um, uh, with another, with, with it's still out for the concussion. So if he's not practicing yet, there's a decent chance this is a second concussion in a few weeks that he's not going to play in this game. That is a big deal because there are not many places to attack this defense. And if you start elevating more inexperienced corners, you know, just give me Tyler Lockett or give me David Moore, or give me Doug Baldwin against somebody that's not that good. And I like any of those three guys' chances to make an impact play. Um, so that that could be really big. And you know, if you look at if you look at the the Vikings, when you look at for weaknesses, um, there really aren't a lot to be honest. 
turnovers is probably one place where you could say that they've not created a lot of turnovers. They're 12th in the NFL in, in creating them. Seahawks are number one in the NFL in preventing giving the ball away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, you know, when the Vikings have the ball, they're 22nd in the NFL in giveaways. And the Seahawks are ninth in, in uh, takeaways. So, you know, you kind of put some of these things together, Jeff. You want to make a case for the Seahawks finding a way to win. It's the defensive line, the front seven, you know, slowing down the run. The Zimmer trying to make force the run game, even though that they're really bad at it, and they keep running their heads into the wall, which means we have to worry less about, you know, the receivers. Um, when they do pass, we get pass rush. We cause some turnovers. Um, and then when we have the ball, you know, uh, you hope that, that the Seahawks are able to get a little bit going on the run game. No one's going to just shut them down. They're too good, I think, to do that. Yeah. Should talk a little bit about DJ Fluker and his out and his absence, but um, you know, finishing the thought, I think Seahawks on offense, if they can find someone in the secondary to attack, that's interesting. And and what I have noticed is that the Vikings linebackers um, have not had a great year in terms of coverage. So that might be a, a chance for some of these these running backs to get out in space and part of the passing game. Maybe this is a game that JD McKissick actually gets a few more snaps and, and can be a factor that way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Fluker one's a big, especially in this game. Uh, Jordan Simmons is going to start, I believe Pete said today on Softy's show. He held up really well in the Rams game, who have probably the best interior defensive line in the NFL, but this is a really tough assignment for him. Fluker's been so good and kind of the splits when Fluker's been in and out, there's been a lot more pass rush especially last game where Joey Hunt played a little bit. Uh, that was scary. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a huge emphasis on the pass block. You mentioned some of the numbers earlier with the pass blocking. Maybe not as good as the eye looks. Having a backup right guard against Sheldon Richardson or maybe Linval Joseph, one of the biggest, toughest guys to block in the NFL, or Tom Johnson, who's going to want his revenge for the Seahawks cutting him. That's a big task, and Simmons looks, has looked pretty good in relief, but doing it once is different than being consistent and doing it over and over and over, and that's a matchup to watch because that's the kind of thing that can swing the game if you get a turnover here and a turnover there, and those are the ways Seattle's lost games where they've had that back-breaking tor- turnover in the Rams game, in the Bears game, Broncos game. That's that's a huge factor in this game. So, what's your confidence level like in Simmons? Great last name, by the way. But <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? Uh, well, I love the way he played against the Rams. I mean, for mm-hmm. him to basically this is at at LA, and for the Seahawks to put up the numbers they did in that game for rush for two hundred and seventy three yards, you know, not give up a ton of sacks. Um, I know they gave up a, a fair amount to Aaron Donald, but those are all um, not related to Simmons. You know, it 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 was an encouraging performance for sure. But this is a guy, he's, you know, he's not quite as big as Fluker, but he's over 340. He's a big dude. Um, Fluker's definitely over 350 from what Pete's saying, if you can trust Pete. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing is with Simmons, though, is he really barely played in college as well. So... Let's say he gets in a game and he goes up against someone who kind of figures him out. Let's say that after one game he has not proven himself and Linval Joseph figures out how to just 
overwhelm him? Can he recover from it? Um, that's going to be interesting to see. Can he adjust? That's the next test because everyone's going to get beat in the NFL eventually. So I don't think we know that yet. And those things can really snowball, especially in a primetime game. And if you don't have a guy to go to, in this case, worst case scenario, you're talking about assuming they keep him active. Ethan, Ethan Posick would be the guy that would, would be available. I don't think Joey Hunt's a good idea in this type of game. No, no. Um, Posick, I don't think is going to make the difference in the run game, and that's why he hasn't been playing. Um, he's just not – doesn't have the, the bulk. But he's a decent pass blocker. And so, you know, he's, he's had enough games under his belt that I hope they keep him active just in case things go awry. Yeah, and if Posick has to play, that's a because the numbers with Posick in and out of the lineup were huge. The swing, and if you watch just the highlights of Sweezy throwing around those Niners offensive linemen and what Posick used to look like a left guard, and I was a guy who was pretty high on Posick coming out just because he was so technically sound. But just watching someone physically throw around a defensive lineman and watching Posick try to pass block and like say Jacksonville last year is a stunning difference. And against a team as physical as Minnesota is in the front seven, and they use these weird A-gap blitzes and different blitz looks, and having an inexperienced guy at guard is a big deal. And they 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 get they, they had trouble last year with stunts, and they had trouble last year just identifying, and that's where their play with Sweezy and Carpenter and even Nefeti have been so much better, just identifying different rushers, and that's – what Minnesota does really well. They throw completely new looks at you that you've never seen, and they have guys rushing from all different places, especially up the middle. And This is going to be a huge game on Britt where he's going to have to identify things at the line of scrimmage, and it's going to be a big game on Russell because he's going to have to deal with a lot of pressure. And Yeah, I agree so much, though, on Hunt. Hunt should not have to play in this game unless there's a major, major injury that forces Posick out or forces... He should not be in line to play. There's just such a difference in him and Fluker. They couldn't be more different. Hey, can I can I show you something really quick? Uh, yeah. I might have shared it on Twitter earlier this week, but I'm curious your thoughts because we're kind of talking about how the Seahawks have been through three quarters. And and last year I wrote this article, I think it was last year, maybe the year before in the offseason. I wrote an uh, identity crisis um, series. It was a probably four or five series, article series during the offseason. I went really deep on – what Pete says matters about the Seahawks and what had been going on um, with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's things like he wanted to be a balanced offense. He wanted to be, you know, complete the circle of toughness with running. And the trend was like in terms of run, run efficiency, in terms of run percentage was going way down in terms of um, it's all about the ball. How often have we heard that and turnovers, going down, um, was not going the right direction. Um, you know, and then we talk about some other factors that, that are key for this, this defense, um, and this team, even special teams has been going the wrong direction. So I haven't had time to keep it up like I did last year. Um, I got really roasted by a lot of folks who were like, ah, you're overreacting. It's not an identity crisis, blah, blah, blah. But I want to show you this and then we see if this works. Uh, let me know if, uh, how this comes through, but are you seeing this? Yeah, yeah, it's the shared screen is good. So you get the identity checkup? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So take a look at this, man. Look at this and tell me what what your thoughts are when you see this. 
I'm going to go through a couple different uh, items on this, but I'm curious. We'll start here. Mm -hmm. So turnover margin jumps out at me. What, what about it? What, what, I mean, what, what are your thoughts when you see those trends over the years? That you were onto something and people did not want to admit it because they thought the Seahawks were in a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl window. And yeah. I mean, so, so you've got that, the, the trend for people that are going to be listening and not watching. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Give a quick explanation. It, you know, for, for turnover margin, 2012, they were fifth in the NFL, 2013 Super Bowl year, they're number one. 2014, they were fourth. So those three years, they're top five in the NFL in turnover margin. Mm -hmm. 2015, they go to seventh. Then 16, they go to 16th. Then they climb back up last year to eighth. This year, they're second in the NFL in turnover margin. Um, and if you if you dive deeper into that, which we will in a second, um, in fact, why don't I do that right now? I think i uh, come back to this. Um, They, uh, here's this turnover trends. If you look at this, their takeaways, they've improved, but they're really pretty much where they were last year. What's really changed this year is they're number one in the NFL in, in giveaways, right? Mm -hmm. They were seventh last year. They were 12th the year before. What else was different between those two years and the other years, Jeff? You want to take a guess? <laughs> There's a lot of things. What do you think I'm going to go to? I think you're going to go to the run game. Yeah, dude. I mean, let's go back up here. Look at these two years for play call trends. Rush percentage. Percentage of play calls that were, were rushes. Um, 2012, 57%. 2013, 55%. 2014, 54%. 2015, 51%. So all those, they're rushing at least half the time, more than half the time in most cases. Then you get into the years of 2016 and 17, 38% in 2016 they're rushing, 42% last year. This year they're back up to 53.4%, 53.8%, sorry. So there's there's a pretty strong correlation there. Um, now, everyone's going to jump on whether that's the reason or others. There's other correlations as well. So if I look at, this is one of, one of my other favorite things I've, I've looked at. This is a little more complicated for folks, but on the bottom axis here is is the Seahawks defensive or offensive DVOA ranking. How efficient were they? So uh, to the right is better, to the left is worse. Mm -hmm. um, and on the other axis, you've got their pass attempts ranking. And so higher up is meaning they're passing less. Lower down is meaning they're passing more. There's a really strong correlation between when they're passing less and when their offense is more efficient. And so, yeah. you know, I, I look at that, I look at the I look at the turnover trends. If you go back to that again, you look at when those giveaways were happening and they're passing the ball a lot more. And you know, one last thing I'll show on this before getting way too geeky for too many people, but I wrote this article this weekend that I, I was pretty interested in some of the results. If you look at Russell Wilson's career, going back even into college, back at NC State and at Wisconsin, and you look at the relationship between when he passes the ball a lot more and when he passes the ball less, um, in general, now these are not 
stat sig and all those things and and i realize that there's flaws there but this is for fun and this is you know uh, directional for the conversation russell's wilson the more he passes in a season his passer rating goes down the more he passes in a season his touchdown rate goes down the more he passes in a season his interception rate goes up um and that's not that's not just everybody does that if you look at drew Brees, here's an example of a comparison doesn't matter more he passes he's the same quarterback you look at aaron Rodgers. the more he passes he either gets better or he's the same player his interception rate goes way down when he passes more so i won't go through all this but i mean i think there and let's bring up russell wilson's numbers here i mean look at his numbers this year in situational pass rating is the highest it's ever been Situational, his third down passer rating, second highest it's ever been. Red zone passer rating, highest it's ever been. Like, I think there's something to this. Yeah, and I think you hit it in that article. I read the article, and everyone who hasn't should definitely read that and the Danny Kelly article on The Ringer about Russell. But I think you hit on a great point, and it's something I've been arguing with a lot of people over the years. There isn't one way to do things. As much as evidence might say like passing 60% is the way to go, a neutral script. And I think you brought up a great point. It's just, yeah, it, what works for Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning might not work for Russell Wilson. And while a lot of the evidence might say passing 60% is the way to go, is that the best offense to run with Russell and how Pete wants to play defense? And if you look at Russell's efficiency numbers, it's hard to argue that this isn't the best style of offense for him. And like a question I was thinking this week, and I, I'll preface it to saying I'm not a big Schottenheimer guy. I don't think, I don't think he's, he's a, a he's a I don't think he's a great coordinator. But who would you rather calling this offense based on the results of this season? I'm going to ask you this: Would you rather Schottenheimer or DiFilippo, who was a guy that? every Seahawks fan was probably hoping for in January. It's, yeah, I, I have to I mean, I know that the, the best way to do this uh, live is to, to have a hot take. I mean, I honestly just haven't watched enough of the Vikings to, to know, but the one yeah. thing I will say just on, on random, you know, guessing is based on the numbers I've seen for the Vikings and based on the fact that Mike Zimmer took until what is it week 13 to decide that he's going to force the issue he's basically deciding what to do with the filippo that pete decided to do after week two he took till week 13 though and so it you know if i don't know if that's more on zimmer or more on the filippo but yeah you know um i i am okay i'm i'm pretty happy with what we're seeing on offense i think this is one of the one of the it's a top 10 offense in dvoa um and if you look at from week three on there's they're absolutely like top seven i I can't calculate it but um they've got to be one of the top they could be they could be top five i wouldn't be shocked if they're top five if you take out the first two weeks so I, i think that's i think this is a really good combination they've got going mainly the thing i'd change about schottenheimer is stop stop running the ball in second and long, you know, 
and stop giving up when it's you get a, a holding call on first down like that yeah, yeah. they that were better at that I can't stand but the rest were better, better at that last week. week but yeah that's true that's true they did they do threw on first and 20 for the touchdown they second and 17 they threw that pass to Carson on first and 20 but overall that's been a problem yeah i mean this team's averaging you know 28 points a game since week three they're averaging uh i want to say 29 points a game i think in their last eight it's half a season you know and in their last four they're averaging like 33 points a game so like i at some point i think it becomes a little bit stubborn to just say shoddy sucks and you know he's holding everyone back i don't think he's the most creative coach i think there's probably def i, I would definitely say there's coaches that could be better for the seahawks um but I think he's I think he's helped to make this team better than it was before. And one of the things people don't talk about that they were talking about in the preseason is his work with Russell on fundamentals. Talk about Russell throwing from a wider base. There's talk in Danny Kelly's article about Russell's better ability to, to manipulate the pocket and move around and create more space. I I think we're seeing one of the most accurate, efficient seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback. Um, I don't know if you saw some of the stats I shared last Sunday, but I mean the types of quarterbacks that have had seasons like Russell, where you're talking about 29 touchdowns and five picks, he could end up with 39 touchdowns in like just over 400 attempts. These are guys like Kurt Warner and YA Tittle and Len Dawson. And like, I mean, these are hall of fame, like the hall of fame of the hall of fame mm-hmm. um, types of players. And so you, you I think you got to start giving Schottenheimer some credit for that. Yeah, it's probably taken us too long on this show to mention how good Russell was at just pocket manipulation in that game, where there's a play where he always usually he had that horrible play down in the goal line, but there was that play on one of the touchdowns where he backpedaled in a play where he would usually spin out into a sack, where he did that backpedal directly and threw a touchdown by scanning the field, something that just hasn't been a part of his game, or on that locket touchdown where. He had to step up in the pocket, and that's been a huge issue for him. And if you can get him manipulating the pocket with his deep passing and just maximizing his efficiency, that's a you're seeing you're seeing an MVP level player. And Russell is playing as good as he did in 2015. And I think this has been overall a better season than he had in 2015. I think 2015 was more schemed open for him, and I think there was a lot of easy reads. I think this Russell is doing more this year than he's done at any point in his career. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, we won't, we won't open the whole debate about, you know, in order for Russell to justify being paid a lot that, that he needs to throw the ball more. That was part of what made me write that article this weekend. Cause I was really curious. My instinct is that's not true. I think he's better when he's not throwing a ton, but well, why is that? Why is what? Why is he so unique compared to breeze or Rogers? I don't know if I have an answer to that. I just, yeah. I think that what Russell's really good at is play action passing. I think he's great at um, deep throws, deep passes, and throwing on the run. And, you know, those are things that are based like bootlegs. They're based off of, you know, play fakes. They're, um, play action is a running, you know, it's a, it's a movement throw in a lot of cases. And his deep throws are the best in the NFL. I think absolutely. And one of the things I think people don't understand about, they say, oh, Schottenheimer needs to have him throw more. Well, 
he threw like two touchdowns and six pass attempts and had like two or three plays of like 40 plus yards. Would you rather him throw the ball 10 times and get, you know, 10 yards per throw or two times and get 50 yards per throw? Like, I don't have a problem with Russell average. He was averaging like 24 yards a throw for a while. So like, I just don't get this notion why like volume matters. Like, I, I don't think it does in this case. And I'd add on to that, Jeff. Guess what? Schottenheimer did ask him to throw it more than 17 times in that game. He asked him to throw it 20 times. And you know what Russell did on one of those 20? He took a snap from the one-yard line and took a 16-yard sack. Like, he played a great game, but that was – if it's a different game and you're having Russell throw the ball 30 times, how many more situations like that does Russell do? Because – Frankly, that's part of his game as well, that his supporters that only see his positives don't ever want to talk about. But he takes some really bad sacks that really hurt the team and take them out of chances to score. So I just think this is a this maximizes his gifts. And I have no problems with him throwing the ball 17 times if he's going to give me four touchdowns. Yeah, and I think if you had Breeze or you had Rodgers or the run game wasn't working and there's evidence that their play calling – tendencies were holding the offense back or holding the team back when there's clear evidence that he plays better with passing. But if he's, if he's got this efficiency that is off the charts and the running game is over 150 yards a game, I just don't get the problem. I don't get why everyone thinks there's only one way to do things. And I know all the data points that way, but you have a very, very unique player and an old school coach. But with Russell – he seems to work with this Pete system. And I know it's not ideal for a lot of people, but it's hard to argue with what he's doing right now. It is. He's playing, he's playing lights out. I mean, he's just having yeah. a great season. So one of the questions as we kind of start getting ready to wrap up here is how good is this team? Are they like in my power rankings, which I, I just do the math for them. I don't, there's no subjectivity to it. Um, or at least other than putting the formula together, but it's the same every year. Uh, the Seahawks are fifth. Like, you know, they're, they're actually right there with the Rams, which on one hand seems crazy. On the other hand, the Seahawks have played the Rams twice, and it was, like, damn close both times. Yeah. Um, when they've played the, the best opponents, they've still they've lost, but they've been close games. No one's blown them out. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many great teams there are in the league. Like that are complete teams, especially. I mean, wh- where do you put the Seahawks? If they, assuming they make the playoffs, like they look like they're gonna do, who do you think they can realistically beat, and where? I think they are in contention for the third best team in the NFC, and I just, and that's a, coming into the year. If I would have told you that, I, you probably would have laughed in my face, and we would have been rightfully so, but. They've been right there with the Rams. They don't have that defensive disruptor like Donald that can just dominate a game. And when you combine that with that offense, that just puts them a cut above to me. The Saints at New Orleans, to me, is such a bad matchup for Seattle, even though Dallas did shut them down a little bit. I just think Dallas has a great defense. Dallas has those two linebackers now. They got a much better secondary. They got Demarcus Lawrence. With the Seahawks' defensive issues going against Breeze and Kamara in New Orleans with that offensive line, 
I think that's a 40 point outlook. So I think the Seahawks, I think can compete with the bears. I think they're right there. The bears have quarterbacking issues. They're very creative. They have a great defense, but Seattle can do well against them. I think Seattle can do well. Dallas Seattle already beat Carolina. So I think that puts them in contention with Chicago for the third best team in the NFC. So you're saying you think that they you don't think that they can beat the Saints in New Orleans? No, I, I, I don't. You don't think they can beat the Rams in LA? I think they would have a shot. I think they would have a shot. They've played them very close. But right now I just can't say that they're a better team than the Rams because of just Aaron Donald. Um, I, uh, Shane Smith's in the chat and I basically, he, he said he thinks that they can beat anybody, but the, but the saints in new Orleans, that's kind of where my head's at. Like, I, I think that if I look at the Seahawks team mm-hmm. and I look at the Rams, I'm kind of begging for another matchup with that team. I know that sounds crazy, but I think the Seahawks didn't have Kendricks for any of those games. Yeah, big difference. I think it's a big difference in that game. I think Pete Carroll is jonesing. To, he, he said it. He wants another shot at, at, at McVay's offense. I think he feels like he knows what they're doing, and I think I've heard that from him before. I think he's zeroing in on it's not a complicated offense, and I think that He's starting to figure out maybe a pattern that that he might be able to. I just have a gut instinct that he might be able to do better on. Wow. Ford might be a different difference maker. They started figuring out how to actually stop the run game for the Rams in that last matchup when they went to that bear front. Um, anyway, I, I think that there, there's a. I think there's a real possibility that the Seahawks. I, I like Russell Wilson over Jared Goff in a game that matters. I just Jared Goff has started to look a little leaky lately. I don't know if you saw that Detroit game. Jared Goff was as bad as the Seahawks defense was last week in Detroit, and they still scored 30 points, but a lot of it came from defense and McGurley. Goff has started to look a little leaky. Keep your eye on him. Yeah, um, I hear you, dude. I mean, I think uh, (laughs) I'm just not a big Jared Goff fan at all, so it's not hard for me to find those things, but – Getting back to it, like I think at at Chicago's tough just weather wise, but I don't I just I don't know. I I really feel like the Seahawks would have won that game if they had played Chris Carson, if they had run the ball more. I, I believe that. I know a lot of people don't. I believe that. So again, I like Russell Wilson in a game more more than I like Mitchell Trubisky. I just do. Mm-hmm. And the Bears weapons are not that good. So I like that. The Saints, that's a pretty tough one. I think the Saints are the class of the league, and I think that would be a tall order. But, look, if the Seahawks got in the postseason, if they win one game in the postseason, look, if they get to the postseason, that's already a success. I mean, that, that's a surprise for so sure. So I heard, I heard someone on radio this week, I can't remember, the national reporter, that said that Pete should be coach of the year, hands down. I think it was Florio. I can't remember who it was. Is that a stretch, or is that – Is it a stretch? No. I mean, who else would you pick? I mean, you could go with McVeigh. You could go with Andy Reid. Yeah. Um, 
who else is in the running? I mean, you could talk about Nagy and Chicago, but I don't think so. I think what you can make an argument for, I don't know if he's coach of the year, but I think you can make an argument that Pete has gotten more out of his roster than any other coach has in terms of talent. In terms of like performance versus I a hundred percent believe. Like I think this is one of the this is definitely the least talented roster the Seahawks have had since two thousand eleven. I don't think yeah. there's any doubt about that. And I'm not saying it's the same as that roster because you have, I mean, there's a big difference between Tavares Jackson and Russell Wilson all by itself. But yeah, I, I, I mean, there's other differences. 2011 had Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner and, and Cam Chancellor and Old Thomas. And, um, you know, we don't have anything like that. So, um, and they had Chris Clemens. And anyway, I could go on. So, I just think that this is one of the least talented teams Carroll's had. I think you could make an argument it's the least talented team since 2010. And there's a legit shot, Jeff, that they're going to win 11 games. There's a legit shot. Uh, you know, <laughs> that said, as of, as of right now, like talking with you, I'm getting excited, maybe thinking, maybe thinking it could happen. But I feel like this is going to be a game that CX dropped this week. That's my prediction. I think they're going to drop it. I think the Seahawks, it's hard for me to imagine them being an 11-win team. I think they're a 10-win team at this point. And I think this is maybe the game that Minnesota needs more than Seattle. So I didn't want to bring that up, but because of how things have shifted out, this game isn't that important for Seattle anymore. It helps, but I don't see who jumps them. And if you beat San Francisco and Arizona, I think you're 90% to make it. So as much as this is a fun kind of test for Seattle and would secure the fifth seed, probably it's not that big of a game anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, I didn't want to bring that up earlier because that would have ruined the show, but <laughs> no, we'll take care of that ourselves, dude. Don't worry. Yeah. About... No, we can do that. But yeah, no. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with this game. Where, where are you at in predicting the, the Seahawks Vikings game? I think. Seattle wins a close game. I, I, I have confidence in just what they're doing right now. I think the Minnesota offensive line is a huge factor, but to me, I see it as a complete coin flip game. Um, I really wouldn't be surprised if Thielen goes off and they're, they're able to win like 24-21 or something like that. But Seattle hasn't played a defense this good since probably week two or week one. So this will be a really good challenge for their offense, kind of see how they measure up. and. Yeah, my gut is just saying Seattle at home, and I think the spread is kind of where I'm at. It's like three-point game, very yep. close three-point game. I think these two teams are very close in terms of how they've played this year. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. I don't have a ton of confidence in my pick, but I'm saying Seattle a tight 24-21 win. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a 17-13 kind of game in my head, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Um Hey, let's uh, let's wrap on that. And um, once again, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you follow uh, at Cable Thanos underscore uh, on Twitter. Uh, super excited to have Josh join the crew. Going to see some great stuff from him going forward, like you already have. Um, also, if you're not already, join as a Hawkwalker patron. Um, p a t r e o n dot com, Patreon dot com slash Hawkwalker. Uh, get part of the private Facebook group. Um, we do some Q and A's on here and bring people aboard. So for all the people in the chat that keep saying that they want to be on the show, 
Uh, best way to do that is become a patron and uh, ask for a Q&A show, and, and we'll, uh, we'll try to work that in and bring people on the show to, to talk a little Hawks. Um, all the proceeds go to a good cause, so um, really would love to, to have more people join up. And uh, with that, Jeff, um, oh, definitely one more congrats to Evan and Alex, and uh, good luck to Nathan and, and uh, the wife and family. And uh, with that, uh, have, a good, have a good rest of your night, everybody.